Today I spoke with Peter Ludlow, who's been on my radar since I was, I don't know, I think maybe 10 years old, um, possibly even a little bit longer than that. Uh, he was a professor of philosophy, uh, but I came to his work through something called the Alphaville Herald. Uh, the Alphaville Herald was a newspaper that started to document The Sims Online, which was, it was The Sims, if you're familiar with that. And um, they added a, they turned it into an MMORPG. Now at this time, there was a lot of those. There was there, there was Second Life. Um, this was also the same time that we see like World of Warcraft becoming very popular and this archetype of, of the WoW gamer, like really coming into sort of the national imagination. Um, and it, it, people really thought that, you know, we would be living in these, in these digital worlds. Uh, so as uh, The Sims Online ended up winding down, it, it wasn't as much of a smash success as people had hoped. Um, the Alphaville Herald rebranded and did pretty much the same thing for Second Life. And P Peter Ludlow, I think, is really like one of the, you know, if not the like seminal voice on these these digital these digital worlds. Uh, they're a little bit different than, um, you know, there there had been there'd been a lot of really interesting uh, conversations already happening about virtual worlds, especially with the work of Sherry Turkle um, discussing multi-user dungeons. Um, but you know, Second Life and The Sims Online and There and Wow uh, and you know all of the these games were were different because you, it wasn't text-based. You had you had an avatar that you could design and you could go out there in a more physical world than you could have ever before. Um, you know, and it, 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 I feel like as we're, as we're talking more and more about the metaverse, I know some people have referenced Second Life in Passing. Um, Axios did this great interview uh, with Philip Rosedale, who is a co-founder of Linden Labs, which created Second Life. But I don't think we really appreciate the conversations that we've already been having about the metaverse. Um, you know, Peter Ledlow, along with Mark Wallace, uh, wrote an excellent book called The Second Life Herald, uh, which had the, this, the subheader of the virtual tabloid that witnessed the dawn of the metaverse. Um, and, you know, the, the summary of the book is how a virtual journalist in the virtual world of online gaming landed on the real world front page of the New York Times and how his virtual newspaper chronicled the emergence of the next generation of the World Wide Web. And this was in 2007. Uh, and, and Peter had been doing a lot of this work for, for much longer. Uh, so it was, it was really exciting to, to speak with him. Um, I know that his work was really formative in, in my understanding of what it means to live in a digital world. Um, I, you know, some of his articles like are, are burned into my mind to this day because they were really good. Um, and for me as a child who is navigating these, these digital spaces, it really was real life to me. Um, you know, whether that's good or bad, the jury's not out yet. But um, I think it's, you know, it's important to, to remember this. And especially as we, we march forward into the metaverse, uh, it, it's, it's worth revisiting. So I was really excited that I got some time to talk to him. And, you know, without further ado, here he is. Default friend. Yes. Is that a handle you use a lot or or everywhere or sometimes or just for so, this purpose? Um, 
so I've been using it since 2018, 2019. Um, I, I switched to my, my name, well, to a, to a pseudonym um, that is closer to a name than Default Friend because right. I wanted to right. publish as a, a journalist and people wouldn't publish Default Friend, but they would publish Catherine. So, uh-huh. yeah. Interesting. I'm a bone. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Very kind of you. <laughs> Um, it, was, it was funny to prepare. I was rereading your um, interview with Evangeline. Uh-huh. And I remember I read that when it was first published. That was a while ago. What was that, 2014? No. It must, I mean, 2004, no. yeah. I think it was 2002. No, 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 couldn't be. It would have to be 2000. Uh, it would be 2003. Three at the absolute earliest. It might have. It might have been two thousand three then. Okay. Eventually, tortured me, and <laughs> I was so excited that I was like, "Oh, someone's uh, someone's exposing her." And I mean, of course, she ended up being a teenage boy, which is not. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, oh, so she she tortured you in game. She was one of the, you were one of the many. Victims of of evangeling. Yes, um, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone. I mean, anyone who used The Sims Online. I guess I should give. I hit record, so I should give some background. Sure. Oh um, uh, yeah, start anytime you want. That's yeah. Let's uh yeah let's 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 jump right in. So okay. we're talking about the Alphaville Herald, which was a newspaper for The Sims Online, uh, which is very similar to sort of like a cross between Second Life and The Sims, as the name uh, would suggest. It had a lot less functionality than Second Life. Um, and Evangeline was a cyber prostitute and scammer who would just, I mean, really had kind of like a 4chan spirit to her. The, um, definitely, yeah. Definitely. Just, just torture uh, newbies. It was, it was like a terrible thing to be a newbie on any of these MMOs. Also true. Yeah, there was a lot of hazing, and uh, it is. It, it, there was a very strong element of four chaniness that that she had uh, going. So she was one of the very early griefers. You know, the griefers came in waves. I mean, there was there was uh, what was the what was the group that came in between four chan? Um, uh, well, there were the W hats, which came from a different board. It was from a pre. It, it was from a pre-4chan board, but basically with the same spirit. And uh, Angeline was one of the first waves of griefers, the people who give you hell in, in game. Uh, but she was, as far as I know, kind of a lone wolf griefer. She wasn't associated with any message boards. But you were you were a victim of hers, is that right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I play... I was playing The Sims Online since like day one, and I was there uh-huh. until the very last day. Always in Alphaville or other shards? I was all over the place. Um, for some reason, I like never wanted to be myself. I was always like a teen, a teen boy, you know, in, in okay. scare quotes, right. named yeah. Philip, named Philip J. Fry, like from Futurama. Okay, okay. But people were also at the same time kind of aware I was a, a girl, but just in like a boy avatar. Sure. How old were you at the time? I think I got on at 11. But you were 11 years old. Yeah, I was 11 when I first started playing. 
no, I was okay. 10. I was 10 when I first started playing, and okay. then I think it shut down when I was 16. Well, we won't report you to Electronic Arts for being... <laughs> don't you? <laughs> so the, you're supposed to be 13, right? Is that? Am I remembering this correctly? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a good segue into... They, they booted you off the game for reporting on what was going on. They did, yes, they absolutely did, and it was it was really triggered by that reporting about Evangeline and her her cyber brothel that she was running inside of Second Life. It was it was. Oh, so, sorry, I said Second Life. I meant to say Sims Online. They, I mean, they there was a big migration there, so it's a, it's a for very forgivable. Uh, yeah, 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 they run into each other for yeah. You saw the same people move over into into Second Life from The Sims Online. Yeah, I thought it was so striking in that interview, and I'm sorry to like uh, conjure an you know interview that's now like basically 20 years old. Um, yeah. But I you know reading it, and I it's it's so crazy. It was just so vivid in my memory how she like refers to each instance of her avatars or her sims as like as though they're different people but at the same time still as the they're they're her but they're also different which is such an interesting i feel like that's sort of been lost when people talk about their online identities you notice in that interview that she slips into the different personalities right so every time she starts talking about one of her successive avatars she kind of slips into the personality of that avatar and begins talking in the voice of that avatar yes um yeah because it it, it it was a multiple system she you know yeah. yeah 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 well she kept getting banned but coming back in another cloaked in a different way as it were but each time with a slightly different personality i guess because i think she really was role-playing i mean it's it's interesting we know she in in real life is what you know was a young man and we even now we refer to her as as her. Sure. It's it's really it it's it really yeah. does feel like it was it a cross between uh you know a, a theater production, but also you know like everyone stays in character even when they're not in the sure. game. Sure. He absolutely. Well, I'll talk about him. He was like a teenage boy living with his mom somewhere and i forget exactly where but uh, he was in the theater arts as he described it so he had a theater background and to him this was an extension of of theater for him and so every time he would get a new avatar he would be he would step into a new new role and in almost every case the unifying theme was that he viewed his himself as a uh as an antagonist in in his role inside of second life so he he had a, a way of of thinking of second life sorry i keep saying second life but you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> i mean sims online but he thought of sims online as being this kind of um uh joint performance or collaborative performance that people were putting on and he had this sense that well this needs more dramatic tension or whatever and i'm going to provide that dramatic tension and so whenever he got kicked out he came back in a new avatar and the first thing he did was to try and ratchet up that dramatic tension with some other female presenting avatar that was 
doing something either certainly breaking the rules or certainly breaking uh conventions and and playing the villain i think i think that um that was the first time i also saw like really vicious racism online too well, he, he was doing, and the people in his house were doing crazy racist, saying ridiculously racist stuff, sure. It was weird, because, I mean, the sort of thought was, well, we're not really being racist, we're just pretending to be racist against black presenting avatars, for example, you know. Um, and uh, But, you know, like 10 seconds of reflection tells you that that's just as racist as, you know, any other form of racism. I mean, you're just being racist in there. And uh, it, it was, uh, to me, you know, everyone talks about the whole thing with that interview about the, him writing the virtual brothel and all that stuff. But if you go back and reread that interview, you'll see that probably the bigger part of that was the racist stuff and the sort of racist language that he was using against certain avatars. It, it's, you know, reading reading any sort of internet culture writing from that era is so interesting to me because people really are, and this, you know, this the cyber brothels thing, like people really don't know what to make of these interactions. There was that question of, is it, um, you know, is it truly cyber sex? Because on The Sims Online, you couldn't actually simulate sex, but you could, it was only text-based. And people were asking that same question you know, in 1995, when people were in multi-user dungeons having cyber sex, it's like, right. well, is it, is it, you know, does it count? And it's like, that, you know, and the, there was that, I saw this question throughout all the coverage of, of you know, that, that interview uh, of like, is, is it possible to have a cyber prostitute? And now no one would ask that question. Everyone's like, sure, it's sex work. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because we're much more used to commu- uh, computer-mediated sex, and so it doesn't it doesn't seem like a crazy notion at all. But if you remember when Julian DeBell's article came out, the rape and cyberspace article, I mean, people were all over in the in the well at the time, which is a discussion board, saying, "Now oh, this is crazy. This is crazy. It's like you know, it's it's like just people typing at each other." But uh, but as DeBell pointed out, it, it's not. It's a lot more than people typing at each other. It's. I just. I just reread um, Sherry Turkle's Life on the Screen, which which references um, which references that particular piece, um, but also like sort of heavily explores this question as well. And one thing that I that keep. I don't think she ever says it explicitly, but it keeps. It's a thread throughout the book that like even then people were internalizing these experiences as though they happened in real life, and like truly words were violence. And it's so funny that it, you know it comes up again today. And, it feels like all the same conversations people were having then, you know, in 95 and then, uh, you know, roughly 10 years later, keep, keep coming up and we keep like memory holding it. Like we, like people forget we've had these conversations. It, it seems to me that like twi- Twitter dynamics, to give one example, really aren't that different than Second Life or The Sims Online. No, especially if you take in the the chat boards that were operating at the time of the Sims Online and so forth, and all the the sort of group shaming and the all the, all the crazy stuff that was going on there. Um, 
Yeah, I, I'm getting a lot of nostalgia attacks and flashbacks and so forth watching the discussions of the the new recently rediscovered metaverse and, and what we saw in those days. It's a, a lot of history repeating itself. Yeah, I, the, the metaverse thing reminds me like completely of the early 2000s when it seemed like everyone was like, oh, you know, classrooms are going to move on to Second Life or there, which no one remembers there. <laughs> I remember there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the funny thing is, I, I, you know, what made me think of there is when you go into Decentraland, which is new kind of decentralized virtual world. I mean, it is like you're going to there. Have you have you been to Decentraland? No, I haven't. Yeah, you'll if, if you've been in there, you go to Decentraland and you'll get such a flashback. So it's it's technology from what what are we what year are we talking there opened in 2004? That's about right. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. Graphically, I mean, graphically, it's so much like there. Yeah, you know, I've I've been in a couple of sort of like grassroots sort of like attempts at creating a, a metaverse. And they all, I, I mean, they're very reminiscent of their of second life, like early second life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, you know, and you ask people and they're like, Oh, well, I never, you know, I never played it or it, it's different because there's a, you know, this crypto layer. And I, I, I kind of like, don't think that if like, I, I don't, I, I, I agree with that, uh, Philip Roseville article that just came out in Axios where he's like, no one's gonna, you know, want to be an avatar. Like we're already living in the metaverse with social media. That's it. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. We are. So you're already engaged in, you're already in the metaverse. Just if you're listening to this conversation, that is a metaverse experience. And if you're logged onto Facebook, you're presenting to people through an avatar and so forth. And so, you know, it's not like once you get into these 3D spaces and start walking around that, that there's been a, a big shift in, in, technological shift or something like certainly not a big phenomenological shift it's it's i I mean i I think rosedale in that i saw that interview too and i think the there's a kind of sense uh, that one of the things he says is kind of well it's turned out that these virtual worlds are just kind of temporary places you go and by now by virtual world i mean the the three-dimensional walk around spaces where you have the 3d avatar and so forth and I think that's right. So, you know, if you are going to conduct your life inside of a virtual world, you would still need to sort of set up and carry on all your Facebook conversations and all your interviews and everything else. And, you know, the question is, you know, what would be, how could it possibly be easier to do all that stuff when you're inside a 3D virtual world as opposed to sitting at your desk looking at a very large computer screen? So, here is a paradoxical thing. The more immersed into virtual worlds we become and more immersed into the metaverse we get, it's sort of the less useful these places like Second Life and these 3D virtual worlds become, right? Because because we have more efficient ways of, of engaging in com- computer-mediated communication and a lot of those ways involve sitting down and chatting with someone or using Instagram or using Facebook or whatever. 
and you could build little replica computers inside of sec- the next Second Life or Decentraland or whatever it is and carry on your Facebook and Instagram stuff through a virtual monitor. But what, what would that buy you? It buys you nothing. You've just replaced your monitor with a virtual monitor. And so... So sort of the so the more online we go and the more our lives become engaged in this kind of computer computer mediated communication, the less relevant and the less useful places like like virtual worlds, 3D virtual worlds become. I am totally with you. I mean, I think what people also miss is like no one I mean, I think it's it's really as basic as like nobody wants to be a, an avatar. Like they I think like what makes like I what makes you know Facebook and social media, social media in general, Twitter, um, Muds, like all of these things, so much more appealing and so much more addictive for the average everyday person is because like you you're given the opportunity to create the illusion that it's really you. Whereas if you're yeah. the avatar, it's the it's the avatar, and for yeah. a select group of people that works. But people most like you need some promise that it might enter the real world, even if it never does. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, because when you're on Facebook, you are in avatar, but it's sort of the sense in which you're in avatar when you dress up to go out or dress up to teach or dress up to go to the gym or something like that. It is just a mode of presentation that you have for yourself. And when you construct a avatar inside a place like Second Life, it's a mode of presentation, but it's kind of some distance between that mode of presentation and the the person who's the typist or whatever. Yeah, um, I, and I mean, I think we used to be a little, a lot more curious about, you know, who are the people and what is the community that like that that level of um, modification right. works for. Right. I, um, I mean, it's people that don't. I mean, it works great for people that don't want to be identified, right? If you, as for example, Evangeline certainly did not want to be identified. So, um, so if you don't want to be doxxed, then a kind of virtual, purely virtual existence through an avatar that's not attempting to represent you physically in any way that's fine. Do you think that, um, I mean, that, that raises like another really interesting point because you do have like a whole ecosystem of like people who are completely anonymous, who are even like they're, they're anonymous, but they're micro celebrities in some cases. This is like increasingly common. Um, and then there, you know, we mentioned 4chan, there's the whole like spirit of image boards and stuff. I wonder if it's those people actually, will be the ones who are entering the metaverse. And it's, you know, ironically, they're the ones who speak out against it the most. You know, maybe they're the ones who are already the deepest in it. Well, that certainly was true in the day, right? So, the, the you know, the first board, that, I think the first board that came in were the people from the Something Awful forums. And then you started getting the channers, the four channers, the eight channers, and so forth. Seven chan, I guess. And... Um, and uh, so since they were all Anons, it was natural for them to be in Avatar with no real connection to who, who they were in, in real life. And, uh, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of that now, too. I think 
I see a lot of people that are in Avatar in crypto Twitter, and uh, they very much do not want to be doxxed, right? They do not want their identities to be known. Now, perhaps that's for reasons of financial safety, um, but but I've noticed a lot of that for the first time in a long time. I, I feel like it's 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 prevalent on Twitter in general and the crypto community certainly. Sure. But it in my experience on so I, I used to I mean I, I'm proud you know it's not going to be used to by the time I post this I'll probably reactivate. <laughs> but I okay. I'm like a Twitter a Twitter power user I'm like always okay. on Twitter and it really okay. it really feels like a, a text based role play to me. And there's a you know there's a whole bunch of people in my in my feed which is mostly like discussing you know issues of identity and you know sort of quasi political and they're they're totally anonymous just because they don't want people to know that they're you know against the regime online sure. Sure. and they take it very I mean they take so they take it as seriously as people were taking Second Life and The Sims Online and I remember even thinking then like. Like I like this is so fake, but also it's real, and I was like very confused because I was like, I'm so invested in this, but I could recognize that like ultimately like it doesn't matter, and like I remember crying over things that would happen in games sometimes, and like it it didn't matter, but it did matter. It was like very disorienting. Oh yeah, I mean, if you were like what ten, eleven, twelve years old in 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 The Sims Online. Yeah, it must have mattered a lot at that time. Yeah, it, I mean, it. I I got online like freakishly early. Yeah. So maybe maybe I'm I'm a weird. No 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 no. no. My daughter was online then too. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's it. I I think I kind of think it it changes the way you. It's like speaking another language. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. All right. Do you, you do you miss? I mean, are you still on Second Life? Very rarely, I'll drop in to see what's going on. Um, I, you know, I just find it kind of fatiguing for some reason. I mean, I don't really know why. It used to be, you know, I used to get a lot of energy. Um, it used to be very exciting, um, but now, you know, it's still kind of clunky to move around and get around and operate, and uh, I just find it. I just find it fatiguing. And um, so it's very rare that I go into Second Life. I um, was poking around IMVU, um, which was another one of these very similar programs. And that one, it's on mobile, and it's actually pretty good. I, I can't like get back into that headspace for some reason, but right. I was like, you know, there's actually like, if you're, if you're craving that kind of interaction... It's it's very quick and like it's it's very active too. Yeah, I mean, I think there are, you know, it's sort of weird. I mean, because I thought that something would come out of it. I thought, well, Second Life is not, as we now say, not going to make it. But I thought something it would evolve into something, and maybe something like IMVU would be the the sort of new metaverse or the way in which pr- we pr- present ourselves to each other in Avatar. But I feel like nothing really did emerge. I really did think that something was going to to come out. And, you know, the first, I got very excited when these new virtual worlds opened up. And then, you know, like I said before, I went into Decentraland, which is is the one that's getting all the hype on crypto Twitter and so forth. 
where people are dumping a lot of money into the, that one and, and the sandbox and so forth. But in, in Decentraland, I just had this incredible sense of disappointment because from a phenomenological perspective, at least, which is to say ignoring what's going on beneath the hood, like with Decentraland, you know, it's on the blockchain, etc. But from a phenomenological perspective, it's just like you're going into there and um and everything kind of looks the same as it were you know how like second life was this big mishmash of different styles because the 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 tools you have for building stuff were basically very liberal tools i mean you could basically do whatever you wanted and wherever i go into into the central land it kind of looks and feels sort of the same to me from a phenomenological point of view and it also feels a lot like there to me. I mean, I would really be interested in your thoughts about it. You know, if you go and visit Decentraland, what your reaction might be. Because if you've been in these earlier virtual worlds and you drop into a new one, um, you know, you, you feel a little bit, and ignoring what's under the hood, you feel like not much progress is being made. I wonder if, you know, I, I looked up, um, I, I just double checked the name. It's, it's called like Digital Village. It's another one of these like metaverse projects. And I don't know if it's just concept art, but it looks really beautiful. And I, I and I wonder if the like really the you know the really well designed ones are just like walled gardens, and they're like it's really unsustainable to like have something that detailed and that aesthetically pleasing, um, you know, accessible to too many people. I think that's a good point. I mean, I know there are these sort of really richly detailed places that are aesthetically beautiful, but um, hard to bring a lot of people into those spaces. Which is, I think, like another kind of argument against like, oh, we're all going to be, you know, digital, you know, 100% digital. It's like, again, like, you know, as we've both said, we kind of already are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, like I, definitely. I was going to say, I don't know how we could get any more online than we already are right now. Um, well, I, I don't think I could be. <laughs> I mean, um, but, uh, you know, there's still people that have uh, a significant chunk of their lives outside. Um, but... Uh, even yeah, but I know exactly what you mean because, uh, you, you know, like I run a bar in Mexico right now, and uh, um, you know, you think, well, what could be more in the moment than a bar in Mexico? But even when I'm at my bar in Mexico, I'm online dealing with problems, you know, like bar-like problems and all sorts of other issues on my cell phone, and everyone in the bar is sitting around on their cell phones communicating with everyone else. So, you know, unless you're skydiving, well, I don't know, maybe when people are skydiving now, even while they're <laughs> dropping, like they're texting somebody. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's hard, you know, at that point, we're basically very close to 100% online. And even if we're not, I mean, we could be, you know, so, you know, your phone is in your pocket and you're not actually texting in that moment, but, um, but the phone is at the ready. There's, there's no, um, you know, it used to be like, 
you would know if people were on or offline. And have you noticed there's like no status messages really in the same way? Like you could have, I think, like textual status messages, but it rarely says like this person is on or offline. Right. And in some cases, it's considered a privacy violation. Whereas right. it used to be because like there's no sense of logging off anymore. No, I put on my, I think it's on my Twitter thing, like occupied or something like that, but no one believes it. You know, no one cares. No one believes it. And then people just get outraged if you don't respond, you know, they'll send you a text message and they get outraged that you, you know, it, it, you don't respond for half a day or even for an hour because they expect you to be at the ready. You know, it's, it's as though they went up and tapped you on the shoulder or addressed you face to face. They expect an immediate reaction in that sense. Is it a kind of, I, I've noticed a kind of expectation now or, or a something uh, approaching an ethical obligation to be available online at all times. I, I totally feel that. And, it, and it's like kind of disorienting for me because sometimes I don't know anymore. Like, you know, I have, I have like vivid memories of it being normal for someone to take like a week to respond to a message, whether well, it's like a text or an yeah, email. But yeah. Well, you remember this thing we used to type? We would just type AFK, you know, for yes. a, away from keyboard. But when's the last time you saw that? I mean, well, I, I will say that I I've held on to AFK oh, for okay. the last twenty years. All right, all right. <laughs> Let's keep the dream alive. Yeah, I like it. Um, you, you know, you mentioned so you mentioned with Evangeline when you know we were discussing the performance layer. Um, to circle back to that, I mean, I think part of this sort of always being online and there never being like an offline state is I have the suspicion that a lot of people view their, their lives as either ongoing performances or narratives that if there's not enough conflict, like the kind of conflict you would see in a story, they feel compelled to like start creating it because they don't know how to like understand the world outside of a storytelling framework. Right. And they don't even know that they're doing it. And I even feel like the way we listen to music um, is, you know, is now sort of like it's a soundtrack. We don't really watch movies anymore because like we are in the movie at all times. Yes, correct. I mean, let me give you a story. So I was a while ago dating a person who was a samba dancer from Brazil, like kind of a big time, somewhat famous samba dancer. And you would think, well, who could be more in the moment and being living in the real world than a samba dancer? But when you, when I spent time with her, like everything was structured around the, you know, building the Instagram narrative. So everything, every meal, every action, whatever action is planned, was planned as a photo opportunity. I mean, I, this is not a criticism because if you're a samba dancer, it's kind of like it's like being an actor or something like that. You have to be present in the public mind, and you have to curate this sort of uh, narrative of this person that doesn't actually exist in real life, right? You have to build this narrative of this this non-existent person, just like Hollywood stars build some sort of narratives around you know what they're really like. But it was exhausting. It was just completely exhausting. And like I, I am all about living virtually and living online. But, but the idea that, I mean, that just wore me down. That pl- sort of planning every activity with the idea that 
what we're going to, what <laughs> the reason we're really doing this, whatever it is, going to some exotic place or, or diving or whatever it is, the reason we're actually doing this is to get the photos to build that avatar for Instagram. I, you know, I was, I was going to ask you, and I think you, you answered, you, know, you answered the question already is whether this is actually a, a bad thing or if it's, I mean, it sounds like it was a bad thing in that, that instance, but I wonder if, it could ever be be good and like maybe give people more meaning than they might have had access to before uh i mean for certain people it's it, it it's good i'm sure i mean um uh it's dangerous though because um i find a lot of people and i think i, I well i'll be honest i find myself doing this too I find myself doing things that I imagine would project well through some Facebook or Instagram avatar. And then you start structuring your life in such a way that, that you're, you're just setting up these events to curate a certain mode of presentation. I mean, it's still you there, but you're curating this mode of presentation. In a way, it's not that different from what Evangeline was doing, which was to say, living in a certain character in a virtual world. Um, and um, for some, you know, like everything, in some cases that can be good. Uh, it can be financially rewarding because people can be financially successful doing that. Uh, it can be good in that people can generate publicity for their work, whether that's as an actor or as a samba dancer or whatever. Um, but it can also be dangerous because um, we start constructing these virtual identities in order to interact with other people. And that typically means we're building virtual identities that we think will either be viral or catch the attention of other people. And those sorts of narratives are rarely the honest narrative. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you on that for the most part. I mean, I struggle with this quite a bit too. I find myself like caring too much about like you know I, i'm working under like four layers of pseudonyms right so okay, all my, right. My, my parents brought this up I'm, I'm at home for the holidays and it's like they're like you know there's so much like there's a name you write under there's a name you you work under there's your twitter handle there's your podcast you know it's like all these different like windows of the self and it's it's it you know it's it becomes like very complicated and you you realize like, oh, it's, 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 it is the same as Evangeline being Roxy and Dorian and yeah, you know, whoever yeah, else she was. Yeah. Well, was the, who, what was the name of the famous Portuguese writer Pessoa? Yes. Who, yeah. He also had many pseudonyms. Yeah. He had many, many pseudonyms. And I think he thought those were all reflections of his inner personalities or something like that. And I know I've been writing a lot in different, pseudonyms like layers of them like you have in the sense that like i wrote a, a a book of fictional it's kind of a fictional book of poetry in the sense that it's 
it's not clear if it's an actual book of poetry or if it's fictional, but I had a fictioner, I created a fictional editor, and then mm, like six or seven fictional poets that contributed to this volume of fictional poetry. And um, I mean, that was good for me because given different avatars, poetic avatars, you write in different ways. And it sort of liberated me to to write in different ways and not have to worry about, you know, am I being honest or am I presenting what I want to present? So there's a kind of liberating element to that. Uh, but in the end, um, you know, I, I let myself be identified as, as the sort of guy behind the curtain um, um, because I didn't, I didn't, I don't know why. I just didn't want to, to you know, I, want, I guess I thought it would just be more honest to sort of not, not keep all that a secret. Well, there's this, first of all, that's like, a, like it sounds thrilling to write. And I, I mean that with the, like the utmost sincerity. So I, like it sounded fun as you were describing it and yeah. it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to, to your point about, st- you know, stepping, be, you know, stepping beyond the curtain, like it, it, isn't there like a thing where it's like, e- there's, there's been like studies conducted that even if people know that, you know, fictional characters that are created in this way are fictional, they're, they still, if they're introduced to them as though they're real people, they still sort of internalize them as real people. And they might intellectually know like, oh, this is, this is Peter's, these are Peter's characters. But because they were introduced to them as real poets, they still are like, oh, no, they're, they're real poets. Well, I, you know, I don't, maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's the case. Uh, um, and so, but let's, let's suppose they think there are many real poets as opposed to one. I mean, what, what should we conclude from that? I, I mean, I, I have, I have no idea. This is like a, like a weird, <laughs> a weird fact that I think about all the time. Yeah. And I, I don't know yeah. what, to, what to make of it really. I mean, it's like, um, you know, if you, it's sort sort of a related story. There's a very um, there's a very popular woman on Twitter who's a catfish, and she's like it's it's t- it, it she wasn't always known as a catfish, but at this point it's like pretty obvious, and no okay. one's no one's like exposed her or anything because All I think right. I, I don't know why they haven't exposed her, but um, it's kind of like an open secret that the the photos of herself that she presents are like kind of an invented person, and it seems that like everyone kind of knows this but they still engage with her as though it's totally real and they don't care. They, they like the fantasy. And there is some study done on this, like a very, I mean, I think it was the early nineties and I don't remember the details, unfortunately, where it was like, uh, it was like some kind of like letter writing thing or like maybe like a, like a phone sex operator. And then people still were like, I don't care. I'm attached to the, I'm attached to the fiction. Yeah. I mean, this goes way, way back to the earliest days of artificial intelligence. If you remember the ELISA program or whatever. Yes. Yeah, where people would just sit down and they knew it was just a computer. And in that case, the computer was just saying things like, tell me more about your mother. I mean, it was just like dumb AI just coming back with basic questions, you know. So so it was like working like a, what a Rogerian psychologist. So it just it would just grab a word from what you said and say, tell me more about that. But people got very attached to it. Um, and uh, no doubt um, people must 
be taking these avatars very seriously, right? As though they're, as though they are real, as though they are not um, fictional characters or fictional presentations, as though they're actually talking to someone who's being transparent about what they are. It's it's weird how um, you know I I feel like the internet just like so insidiously like blurs that boundary and it, it it's it can be like very surprising because if you know off the bat that it's fake and then you don't like engage with it too much then you don't fall into that trap but then if you if you get too close to it like with Eliza it's like it's it can be very hard to to undo. Yes, I mean it can. I mean people. I think there were, if I remember correctly, there were people that were just, just wanted to continue communicating with the computer even after, you know, he was ready to shut it down, you know? Yeah, I, I, I feel like it's it's very easy to form these, like, relationships with, with objects. Yeah, um, we're, yeah, we're wired, uh, clearly we're wired up to do that, and we're clearly wired up to become very close with modes of presentation so it's it's like uh we're naturally wired up to take human presenting things at face value or even animals um i saw like something speaking of things that have been haunting me which i is sort of like the the subtle uh theme of this interview it feels yeah. <laughs> so this, this, yeah. <laughs> um, i you know i saw this video of this like 90 year old woman who is like very appreciative of this like fake cat that her grandchildren had got her. Right. And she like, and then it, you know, continues on a montage, but how she's treating this like robotic cat as though it's a real cat. And, you know, it ends with like, she has dementia. She can't care for a pet. She is, she fell in love with this cat. And like, I mean, that ruined my life. I'm like, you know, but it, it feels like it, it, I can't get out of my head because it feel it's like the same thing. I don't know yeah. why in this instance yeah. it was just so heartbreaking, but it's it just it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is. I, don't they run studies on this on like apes as well, where they give them a little stuffed animal and that's treated as a child or as a as a, a child ape. Yeah, the the illusions are are so strong. Like yeah. objections, a you know, a, yeah. a big thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that I mean, I mean, all this is just goes to show why this whole situation is very dangerous. Because now it is so easy to create some human like or human presenting avatar, which has no real connection with reality, or or it may have some connection with reality, but it's often a dishonest connection with reality and uh, it's easy for all of us to get catfished in, in many different ways. I mean, not in the usual, I'm, I mean, you could think of it like catfishing if you thought of it, not in terms of, you know, is this a date, but in terms of, is, is this someone that I want to be a friend with or whatever? And it's like, well, now people are just getting catfished all the time. I, that, that's, I, I'm totally on the same page. I, I I think you're right that there is this sort of like perpetual like catfishing that's always going on. And you know, I wonder it, it I guess my question is like is it is it unethical if no one gets hurt? Well, um I mean, how could it be that no one is getting hurt? I mean, there's a I mean, we'd have to think about what the nature of the harm is here. 
Um, I mean, I, I mean, there are cases where people get catfished and it ha- has obvious harms, like they end up sending money to the catfish or whatever. But, um, uh, I mean, isn't it inherently harmful to, to be deceived in that way and you extend your trust to uh, an individual in Avatar that is not trustworthy? I mean, I, I've had a lot of trouble with this question. Like, it's not something I think I could do, like, especially as an adult in any serious capacity, because I just have some kind of like internal sort of intuitive repulsion to that kind of, you right. know, that kind of charade. However, right. like when I like remove my myself and my own behavior, and I think like if you have a friendship that's like necessarily like always going to be online and it, you know, is like, is it a lie or is it like a type of like emotional truth? And I don't know if I'm just like doing mental acrobatics to like hypothetically justify some, you know, bizarre behavior. But I, 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 I do, I do have a lot of questions about it. I, I wonder if it's like as black and white as, you know, we've been taught. But then again, maybe my like intuitive repulsion speaks to the, the answer there. Um, well, I think there's nothing black and white about it, but because I, I think it's a, just a whole lot of gray areas here. And um, I mean, in a certain sense, since we're all presenting ourselves to each other in Avatar all the time anyway, whether or not we're online or whatever, um, uh, there's a sense in which we have to be responsible, and it's it's not always clear what being responsible comes to. But uh, um, I, I would just say that, you know, when we use computer-mediated communication in its different forms, um, whether through virtual worlds or, or Instagram profiles or whatever the case might be, uh, we now have tools that, that kind of allow us to do this catfishing on steroids, as it were, where, where we can be deeper in our deception and be deceptive more frequently, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so I don't think it's really a difference in kind between day-to-day, see a person in the street, present yourself in a certain way versus presenting yourself online in a certain way. But I do think that when you, you have these online tools that, that, that the potential for danger is much greater, and so then it behooves us to be more responsible in our use of those tools. Yeah, and you know, there's all—I mean, there's all sorts of ways it could could go wrong, as you're, you know, yeah. illustrating. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a. I, I feel like we have too much freedom to design ourselves. That's an interesting thought. Um, we certainly have more freedom to do it. Is it too much? I mean, I think for some people, some people don't have enough freedom to present themselves in certain ways. So I, so a lot of people in second life that are, are shut in the homes for various reasons, can't get out and about. Um, and they can go out and, uh, 
present themselves in a in a virtual club inside Second Life, and they can dress up, and they, I mean, presenting themselves in a way that superficially is completely dishonest, because let's say they're bedridden or something uh, at home, but and then they're out there dancing on the dis- virtual disco floor. Um, that is a way of presenting yourself, however, that that un- I would think under certain circumstances could allow people to see what you're really all about, you know. Just because you can't physically do this, there, you know, that is a way for a person to use these tools to express themselves in a very honest way. But um, the flip side of that is that it's also possible for people to to use those very same tools and express themselves in a completely dishonest way. Yeah, I I, I wonder though what like d- dishonesty is. Uh- I, I've been trying to like, um, and I, I hope I don't want any listeners to think that this is like something that I, I do necessarily. I just I introspect too much, as you may have <laughs> uh, been able to gather. But like, I, I wonder, like, you know, like something is. I, I maybe like Peter Thiel said this better that it's like, uh, I forget his exact phrasing, like liter like literally false, metaphorically true, something something along those lines. Like uh-huh. there could be like emotional truths like contained in these these sort of charades that are valuable and like you know like let's you know we can't we can't all do it but maybe like let some people off the hook well yeah okay so packed into any sort of communication there are sort of different levels of what you're communicating and so when you're out there on the virtual disco floor in second life you are presenting yourself in a certain way physically but, you know, if, if I present myself as a squirrel or a rabbit in Second Life, you know, some f- kind of furry, n- no one is going to think that that's me in real life. So I, I don't think I'm being, uh, hypothetically, I'm not a furry, but uh, not that there's <laughs> any, anything wrong with that. But were I a furry, I don't think I would be m- mis- misleading someone by presenting myself in a furry form. Um on the other hand, I would be expressing certain things about me, certain attitudes and so forth, and I think, you know, quite possibly that could be an honest expression. Um, alternatively, uh, like, I, I suppose if I went in, in in a furry avatar, that might be a dishonest expression of me somehow. But but I think, I think um, if someone presents themselves uh, as a disco diva inside of Second Life, even though they are... Um, dis, a, disambulatory, uh, um, then uh, there is a kind of social truth that's being expressed about the that's quite honest and a certain attitude that they're expressing, which is like I'm a party person and these are the things I like that I think is honest. Um, and I think in that particular case, it gives a person the opportunity to express themselves in a way that is certainly honest on one level, on the sort of emotional and personal level, if if not on on some sort of physical level. You know, you know, it's interesting about this, and what we haven't mentioned is like, you know, that the Second Life disco diva is still beholden to like the other players' perception of their idea of what a disco diva is. Yeah, and I've noticed this thing where like this has actually become like sort of a mainstream kind of point of contention where like um, 
you know, like I, I like I just got into a, a fight with my sister about this, where she felt like my um, my like internal or, or private perception of her did not match up with her own internal private perception of herself. Uh-huh. And, and I was like, I feel like I'm seeing this fight. There's, and there's super polarized ways that we don't have to get into of the, how this manifests, but there's also like very basic mundane ways. Like, you, you know, um, like not like someone says they're an artist and, but they don't produce any art, but they're upset that you don't then, you know, consider them an artist, even it, you know, there's, and it, it, it feels like, whereas before that might've been a once in a blue moon kind of argument, it's actually like very common now. And it, again, like it's very politicized in some ways, but it's also, there's very ordinary expressions of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lots to unpack there. I mean, the first thing you said made me think about, um, I lost the train of thought there. So, um, no, I agree. I, I, I was just going to say, say something to, in, in the form of agreeing with you <laughs> okay. completely. Yeah. 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 It's a very, it's, I, you know, I, I think that, um, and, and maybe we, we could start uh, wrapping it up but on this point. You know, I, I think a lot of people think some of these attitudes or some of these questions are very generational. Um, and they, and, you know, and they might be, but I think that with that, there's a sort of embedded judgment of like millennials are, you know, narcissists or Gen X are narcissists or Gen Z are narcissists. But I think like a, a lot of these, these questions are actually like what it, you know, come up because we're too mediated or just that we're mediated at all by these digital tools. Well, so how would that make us or make any generation, whether it's Z or millennial or whatever, why would they be more... Uh, self-centered or whatever because of these tools um i i think like i, I think technology sort of f- forces you in like even if you're interacting with with people a lot like you're interacting with them in very different ways like i'm i'm always physically alone but i'm like but digitally i'm always talking to someone like always and right. it, you know it it, does that make me an introvert or an extrovert, right? <laughs> well, uh, I think it makes you an extrovert, doesn't it? It's not an easy question, right? No, it's it's right. actually pretty it's pretty yeah. difficult. No, it's bifurcated. Yeah, so it's kind of like you're a physical introvert, but but a, a, a so, sort of virtual extrovert. And I, you know, I think a lot of these, a lot of the behaviors that come from that bifurcation. Um, because we don't have the language for it yet, it gets understood as um, self-absorption or narcissism, or you know, or something like that. Yeah, that's the part I don't see. So, where is the where is the narcissism come in in this? Is it because we're we're just sitting by ourselves, communicating with all these people, so everything revolves around us, or what? So, so help me connect the dots here. What's the what's the narcissism? stuff here sure so like you know so like it's for, to like this 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 fight um and there's like this question of like is you know is someone an artist or not and depending on like their own self-identification of sure. artistry right sure. well like i on one hand i kind of understand it because like if you if you're navigating a, a terrain where like 
be viewed as an artist, all you have to do is type, I'm an artist, and then start talking about being an artist and you have an affinity towards art. And there's no sort of like physical uh, barrier of entry um, or like you've somehow surpassed that barrier of entry. Um, and then there, and then you go into the real world where there's like different, there's different uh, criteria you need to meet. Then it's, it can be really disorienting and it's hard to explain to someone um, or you may not, you may not even realize that you're like context switching. So you demand to be viewed in the way that you are in, you know, online. Uh-huh. Um, and but, then that, that creates the illusion of like, oh, you're, you're too entitled or something. Right. So how is that different from me buying some canvases and paint and painting some stuff and claiming I'm an artist? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, maybe there isn't a difference. Um, or even if I just sat and sat, I just said I'm an artist, you know, and then, but I'm a conceptual artist, you know. Well, that's not going to have uptake with the art world if I do that. Right. So they've right, got to like have something else. Yeah. I, I've, this actually, I mean, this, this ties back to you. Like, would you say that, you know, you, like when it comes to like your Sims online stuff or in your second life stuff, like, were you a journalist, even though the journalism was happening only online? Uh, yeah. I remember the, the, the PR guy from Electronic Arts saying something like, if Peter Ludlow's a journalist, then, then I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a tycoon every time I play Monopoly or something like that. Um, well, I, my thought is that, yeah, I, I was a journalist. Um, I'm not a good journalist. I was a tabloid journalist. So it was interesting that I was role-playing a, a, a tabloid journalist um but i also was a tabloid journalist yeah um now it it didn't happen to be printed in uh, on paper but i i don't think that really matters certainly shouldn't matter today no one would <laughs> no no one would give that as a reason you can't be a journalist because there's no paper copy of it so uh, to me it was always well yeah obviously this the Alphaville Herald and the Second Life Herald, they're obviously examples of journalism. N- not not journalism to aspire to by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, you know, we have other tabloid newspapers today, and, you know, we, we, might, we might be dismissive of them or might say, ah, well, you know, that Rupert Murdoch paper, that's not really journalism or whatever, but it's certainly journalism in the sense that uh, certain tabloid tabloid newspapers engage in journalism. Well, it, what's interesting is like I don't think anyone would like really question whether or not someone who worked for like um, what was it the one in the grocery stores like the Daily News or something like whoever wrote for that yeah. right and was writing about like Bat Boy people wouldn't say well like that guy isn't a journalist he's just like a like lower caste journalist right um, whereas like there really is like this this question with like the Alphaville Herald like is it a you know is it a newspaper is it a blog is it a, a news website and and it's there's so much more confusion because it's I because I think that you really don't know how to categorize these these digital worlds and like you know how real is it 
Sherry Turkle would say more real than real, but who knows? Yeah. But I mean, these things did happen. I mean, whether, uh, you know, you cannot deny that, that Evangeline ran that house and, or that virtual house, if you prefer, and you cannot deny that, that Evangeline was harassing newbies. Uh, you cannot deny that Evangeline, uh, was saying racist things online. And so someone is there, you know, labeled as media reporting on these events with a, a masthead and so forth. Um, and so it had a blog type form, but then most, well, not most, but many, many news organizations do present themselves now in a kind of blog type form. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think all of, I, I'm of the very like niche and extreme opinion that, you know, a lot of this is, is real or like, even if it's like, we need to take it seriously. Um, even if it's not you know, like real in the traditional sense. Um, and I mean, obviously I took Evangeline like very seriously and I have, you, you know, like that's how, that's how I knew to even like look you up. Cause it's uh, just like, I always remembered you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. So you were like reading the Herald back 20 years ago as a, as a what 12 year old or something. Yeah. And saying, and reading about the interview with Evangeline. Did you read it back then? Yeah, no, no. Like I, I, I read it. Like I don't even remember how I found it. I think I must have like, like searched for. Um, I, I like I was always on The Sims Online, and I must have searched for it at some point. Right. And like that's how I found, or maybe even somebody in the game told me about it. All right, yeah, it could be um, sure, yeah. Uh, and then, then I just started reading it, and then I like never, ever forgot. Huh. Wow, what a story. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it was like, but, but we're laughing about it, but there were, those events were so visceral and so real, and you think, and you remember them there like they were yesterday. I mean, I remember those events, like, so clearly. And, like, how f- frustrating and angry people were, and, um, you know, um, it's it seems odd to me now to think, you know, people were saying, oh, that's nothing... That was nothing. People just role playing. It's like you're playing in a sandbox outside. It's nothing. Grow up. I mean, I don't believe any of that. Yeah, ne- neither, neither do I. I mean, yeah. it's. I, I think we. I think we remember it. I think it has an impact on people. Um, you know, I, I. I think people are ashamed of that for some reason because it's just so unfamiliar, and we don't really have a, an easily you know something to. An, an easy analogy for it in history. Um, that I think is true. Yes. Um, I mean, there was always a thing where people, I mean, I guess historically you have to think in terms of pen pals or something like that and people falling in love with pen pals or being, brought to anger or I guess getting catfished by pen pals, but it was a very slow, slow analog process. And I guess for that reason, it was very rare. And it was like people, it really took people a long time to start wrapping their minds around the idea of, of virtual harm. Um, and I, I do think a lot about when Julian DeBell's article came out in the village voice 
you know, about the reaction to that and like people saying how it was absurd that someone could be harmed by, by something that happened in a virtual space. But now that we're living inside a virtual space for the like 99% of our lives, that sort of thesis is basically a thesis that like no one has any right to feel harm at all, you know? And the more we come online, the more we understand the importance um, and the reality of the harms that, that, that you can perpetrate on other people, even, even though it's a, a computer-mediated sort of interaction. What's, what's really interesting to me about that piece is um, I feel like people today are still saying, well, like, words aren't violence. And we've been asking that question, you know, like, in the, in the very same way now for, when did that piece come out? Like, in, in the mid-90s? Oh, early 90s. I think it came out in 93. I'm, I'm sure yeah. it did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, because Life on the Screen comes out in 94 and she references okay. it, so it must right. have. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so that was 93. It was very early on. And, you know, it's not... I think people tried to collapse it into, oh, it's just words. But that's not true. It's not just words. It's not just like me dropping insults on you. Um, uh, because you're engaged in a kind of role play and that makes, you know, that makes things different. And, you know, when you engage in role play, there have to be certain rules. I mean, there might be unspoken rules, but, you know, once you engage in role play in a computer mediated environment or anywhere, um, you know, you need to be respectful of these rules, um, uh, because greater harm can come from that. So it's not just like me speaking to you or at you from my position to your position, but now we're collaborating with each other inside a, a, a shared fantasy, right? And that, that means that sort of greater responsibility comes to both of us. It's, it's, it's wild because I think that's like a perfect description of the present day yeah yeah i think so um the more we sort of get knitted together in into these collaborative types of arrangements in which we are have certain shared or what we used to call consensual hallucinations i guess or consensual role play situations then I think that really does raise the responsibility for us. Um, well, I'm gonna, I am gonna let you let you go. Um, but it's All it's right. been it's been a it's been a really great conversation. It's been a um, trip down memory lane. I cannot believe because these these issues from the days of Second uh, Sims Online and Second Life are still so real, and the events are so real in my memory and. And I see, I'm starting to see history repeat itself now with the, the new version of, of the metaverse. And it's like, I'm, I'm really glad that you, uh, you're still visiting this topic and you're still sort of connecting with that earlier literature and, and connecting it with what's going on today because I think we're all going to be making more of the same mistakes and, and 
you know, if, if you don't learn from history or, you know, uh, you're destined to repeat all these problems that you ran into before. Yeah, I mean, you, it's it's so crazy because all of this all of this work, you know, I think people think like, oh, it's dated, it's not relevant anymore. But it's, I mean, like that. Uh, Debell's piece is like <laughs> is, it could have been written yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, is there is there anything you want to promote or, or plug? No, 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 no. I'm plugging nothing at the moment. <laughs> just okay. I'm just enjoying life in in Second Life. I'm. Not in Second Life, and I'm in the Twitterverse, I guess. Uh, you can find me in the Twitterverse as EJ underscore Spode, S-P-O-D-E. So it's letter E, letter J underscore Spode. And I guess that's my new avatar. Um, and I've, he, he, my new avatar is probably going to, you'll find him presenting as a, as a bored ape. Um, so I've been trying to uh, see what's going on with the board apes and and where what they're up to these days it's the it seems like i mean that's the that's that's the next step and i I really think that twitter more than even web3 is like really the spiritual successor of all of these other spaces yes i agree with that completely yeah well thank you and uh you know enjoy and enjoy twitter and enjoy mexico all right Will do. Thanks. Thanks for. Thanks for this conversation. Yeah, yeah.